Hello everyone, welcome to the first ever episode of the Full Pelt Music Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Barnes. We are going to be joined today by Frank Turner. Before we get started, just a reminder to follow us on our social channels at Full Pelt Music um, to stay up to date with the latest from Full Pelt Music and the Full Pelt Music Podcast. So, thank you, Frank for joining me uh, today for the first episode of the Full Pop Music podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on as the first guest. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, great pleasure for me. Um, you've been a, a very busy chap this year. Uh, <laughs> in a year when most people have been forced to slow down due to the pandemic, you seem to have um, charged full ahead. Um, I've got a bit of a list that I just want to quickly run through to remind people <laughs> what you've, you've been up to this year. Um, Obviously, we're going to talk about the Independent Love uh, Venue Love series that you put on, uh, but you've also done a full band live stream, live stream with Emily Barker, uh, socially distanced shows across the country. You've released uh, Live in Newcastle. You've released West Coast versus Wessex with No Effects. Uh, you've released Buddies 2 with John Snodgrass. Uh, you've branched out into producing, including two great albums from Beans on Toast and Pet Needs. Uh, you've also uh, had a weekly live stream with Jared Reddick back at the start of the mm -hmm. pandemic, uh, amongst many other live stream yeah. uh, podcast <laughs> appearances that you've made. Uh, and most impressively, whilst you've done all of that, you've managed to move house and create a uh, new studio. Yeah. So how on It sounds quite you... impressive when you say it all out loud like that. Yeah. How have you um, managed that? Well, I, the thing is, this is going to sound... Um ridiculous maybe but hear, hear me out like in some ways i have actually been less busy than i usually am but the difference is is that in a usual year my busyness is geographically focused yeah so you know i'll go and be busy in germany for a month and i'll be busy in america for two months and i'll be busy in england for a month and if you live in england you tend to notice the bit in england and yes. not notice the other two do you know what i mean and the nature of the last year has been because everything's online it's kind of a weird setup because it means that you're sort of conceptually, you're potentially broadcasting to everyone everywhere. Um, I mean, of course you're not because particularly as as time wore on, people got pretty bored of, of everything. I mean, I did as well. So I'm not yeah. Really <laughs> on that but um but so yeah i think for your average kind of um uh, person on the internet uh, you know it seems like i'm being manically busy but i'm usually this busy if not busier but it's just focused do you know what i mean i mean obviously there a lot of things have been new um yes live streaming being the obvious one i mean moving house is a massive thing it is. teaching myself how to produce and building this studio that i'm in right now has been big news as well so you know there's definitely been new things and new types of business but i certainly i mean right now at a point where like there's the beginnings of suggestions of things going yes. back quote unquote normal i find that like my stamina is is fucked like yeah, day, with you. yeah i had like three things to do in the same day and it was like how am i going to do that like it's physically yeah. impossible and of course it's not and i used to do it all the time but it's just like I'm sort of terrified a little bit of, of um, going back to the schedule I used to have. I'm feeling that exactly the same. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting when we do get back. So let's let's roll it back a bit um, to last March um, and we'll work our way through some of, some of the many things that you've been up to. Um, so back in March, you were actually on tour when the uh, mm. country began to uh, realise the you know, seriousness of what was, what was coming. Um, 
I was actually at the South End show, which was your last show. Um, it was the last I was, Nice. I was reviewing that for um, another publication, um, and it was an interesting evening. Um, so, can you just talk me through the last kind of week of that tour and um, how you came to realise, you know, that you were going to have to yeah. head home? Well, I mean, first thing is, it was the most fun tour. I mean, I love my yeah. band. Don't get me wrong, but it was like I haven't done a solo headline tour in the UK for ages. And um, I had my wife on tour with me for the first time, which turned out to be excellent. Um, and I had Mike Schnabel, who I'm hoping you caught that night. Yes, he was fantastic. Yeah, he's an, he's a dear friend and he's an unbelievable songwriter. And, and Vanessa, uh, yeah. his other half, is also just a, a dear. I've known Vanessa for a thousand years and, and we go way back and she's lovely. And so everyone was having a lovely time. Also, I might add just briefly, like the thing about that tour, because there were so few of us on the tour bus, there's a thing you can do. You can turn one of the lounges on the tour bus into a double bedroom. So I was touring in a double bedroom with my wife. And wow. I was just like, I'm never going to sleep in a bunk again. But so everyone was having a lovely time. At the start of the tour, the news was kind of around about something happening in China. And everybody thought, well, it'll be the same as bird flu. No one's going to care. It's not going to affect us in what feels like a very hubristic way. You know, a week later, there was things happening in Italy and everyone was like, huh, okay. And then there was first cases over here and that sort of thing. And then, um, yeah, I remember we, the, the weirdest part was the last four days. We had a day off on which the government had a press conference in which they basically said, this is coming. It's bad. Large gatherings are a bad idea, but they're not illegal yet, which was yeah, such Don't a go to the pub. But the pubs are still yeah, but it, but and it was so shit for me because like yeah. you know I have to think about insurance, I have to think about liability. I also just have to think about the morality of it because on the one hand I don't want to make things worse, but on the other hand I have a contract as far as I'm concerned with every person who's bought a ticket. Do you know what I mean? It's like and, and it's my job and it's what I do and it's how I make a living and it's how my crew get paid. So um, the last three shows we did Bath, Aylesbury, and Southend, and and basically all day for those three days, I was in conference calls with my manager and the promoter and my booking agent and my tour manager discussing this shit, like what's the right thing to do. And on the first night in Bath, we decided to go ahead and I asked the venues, it was a sold out show, I asked them to put a clicker on the door to see how many people showed up. We had 96% attendance, which is yeah. higher than you would normally expect for a sold out show. There's usually five yeah. times drop off anyway. So it was like, oh, well, people want to come. And the vibe was amazing that night. Then we did um, Aylesbury, exactly the same thing happened. Amazing vibe after a really kind of fractious day. South End, which was on a Sunday, I seem to remember. Yes, I think so. Um, the the whole mood in the country had changed. You know, we had about 60% of ticket holders showed up. And like, I, I always want to make sure I say this without any disrespect to the people of South End, not least because I'm now a man of Essex myself. But like, of course. you know, yeah. it's not casting explosions on the audience, but the vibe was was weird. I'm, I don't yeah. know if you got that as I, well. I'd actually been at Boston about a week or so before. As oh, well. yeah, yeah. That uh, was a great that, that awesome venue, Clyde to them, uh, mm. I think it was called, wasn't it? A uh, very unique venue. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the difference in the uh, the crowd, both in numbers and the atmosphere, as you said, um, in yeah. just that kind of week um, completely changed. Yeah, completely. And like, and I'd start getting emails and tweets and stuff telling me I was a murderer for doing shows and stuff like this, which is just like, really, of all of the people you've decided to be angry at right now to fill the yeah aching void between birth and death for you like it's this week it's me right but like um but it you know it was it was really tense and um and i remember why because we again we've been debating it all day and i got on stage and as i'm sure you've noticed i changed guitar over a few songs so that my guitar tech can kind of keep things in tune and keep them clean and my guitar tech is like one of my other friends 
and he came for the first guitar change so after the first three songs of the show we changed guitars and i whispered in his ear tell tree the tormentor tell tree we're going home tonight yeah like i just the minute i was on that stage i knew that it was over um and it sucked it was awful but it was just like this is not the right thing to be doing anymore um exactly, yeah. which was a shame because i love south end and we had a it was a fun show and but it was it just was. The, energy, yeah. the energy was just weird do you know what i mean and there was a part yeah. of my head kind of going is this the last show i ever played you know what i mean like it's such a surreal situation you know yeah um, for us yeah especially at the time you know now we've lived with it for a year you kind of change yeah that's the thing i mean i see it but i think yeah all of us have slightly that that for beginning of it all was such a strange time and one of the weirdest times i think any of us will live through like you know i remember like one of the things for me like everyone had been talking about the whole loo roll and shortage and stockpiling and all that bollocks and like i didn't really believe it do you know what i mean i was like oh come on it's just depressed you know what i mean yeah and then as we were leaving south end one of the venue staff like gave me a pack of toilet roll and was just like you because when you're on tour you don't generally go to the supermarket you know what i mean so no. it's just sort of laid on and yeah. then she gave me like from you know from the toilets in the venue kind of thing she gave me a pack of toilet wow. roll and, was like, and i was and i remember kind of thinking oh come on like this you're being melodramatic and we got home and the following morning there's yeah there's no toilet roll in north london as far as i could see yeah. um and uh and it, it was quite shocking do you know what i mean exactly exactly it was uh it felt like you were kind of living at the start of a disaster movie you know you really were worried about what was going to be coming up um so yeah obviously yeah, I, right a really tough decision to head home um but obviously the right decision um at, the, at hopefully the right time um and then you yeah. hastily arranged that first live stream with uh michael schnabel yeah. and uh jess um how did that come about uh where did the concept for that come well there were a couple of things going on i mean first of all uh, as the tour finished the four of us as in me jess micah and vanessa went back to our then house in london partly because i mean you know vanessa and micah are from ohio and like they're diy punk musicians they don't have a lot of money and like they didn't they had a flight home booked in and they, they'd arranged to like stay behind in the uk for a week to like just go camping or whatever so it was like a few weeks until their flight and they were pretty stressed about what was going to happen course. are we going to get stuck in london and you know we love them but it was like wow we're going <laughs> to be down together for indefinitely i mean it's just yeah. the whole thing was weird and then it was also just on that very first well on the, on the last night of the tour driving home from south end first and only time in my life incidentally that um i've had a tour bus drop me home um uh, it was pretty awesome um i kind of got out and was like to my neighbors i was like yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but uh but uh, you know on the tour home i was sort of chatting with my crew and obviously it was like looking at the financial side of it was kind of daunting for me but like i also earn money from t-shirt sales and record sales and things like that and like i made the decision that first night to pay all of my crew who'd been on the tour until the end of the tour which is another week's work um just because you know they'd been banking on that money um anyway do you know what i mean so we did that and then it, you know so the four of us who'd been the tour were at home i had a laptop i knew how to do a live stream in theory it's very simple i didn't use like external mics and stuff you just play to your laptop press go and we just thought fuck it let's let's do a show and let's make it a fundraiser and it was for a few things it was for the crew but it was also to get vanessa and micah tickets to get home yeah um uh because they needed that um and you know and it seemed like a fun thing to do and we were all there and thankfully it was an acoustic tour anyway so it wasn't like we were gonna be stripping back any no. further than we had already stripped back so 
yeah we um we threw it all together and and did it and it was kind of wildly successful like we had like fifteen thousand people watching at one point and then we broke facebook facebook <laughs> yes. shut the stream down and said um and then emails to me they were like yeah suspicious activity in your account there was just a lot of people watching it and i was like that was the fucking point do you know what i mean <laughs> like jesus yeah. christ nevertheless we raised i think it was forty-four thousand pounds out of that first one which, which is amazing yeah it's unbelievable do you know what i mean it's just crazy and so that was enough to kind of give everybody in my touring family like an initial boost which i think really helped um and indeed to get vanessa and micah home so you know it was a good thing to do Oh, very good thing. And speaking of good things, that obviously led on um, to independent venue love. Of course, yeah. everyone um, in the world has been hit very hard by this pandemic, but the music industry as a whole has been particularly hard hit. Um, and independent music venues have obviously really struggled, um, had their livelihoods completely wiped off um, the face of the earth. Um, so again, where, where did the uh, concept um, for that series come from? Uh, obviously out of that first live stream i would assume yeah um well i mean there was a couple of things i mean the first live stream went well one of the nice things about tour generally speaking is that you're in a different place every day which means you just kind of leave do you know what i mean and, and there's something quite liberating about that and even just doing multiple night stands in one place always makes you feel a bit weird because you go back and you're like oh like we've already been here what the fuck are we, why are we still here and and so it came down the morning i mean i was pretty hung over the morning after that first live stream and it was just you know everything was still where we left it and it was just like oh okay so and then this was because this was still before the full fat lockdown kicked in and yeah. i've been having a conversation with my friends at nambuka which is a venue i know very well i used to live there and stuff and um about going they had some cameras and stuff and i was going to go around and do a live stream from there for them they'd asked me to do it and i was like which you know was the beginning of me being aware that independent music venues were going to be yes. struggling and i know a lot of people who run independent venues and work at independent venues and that kind of thing so it, it wasn't like shocking news to me but it was it made me think about yeah. it and then the full fat lockdown kicked in and I called Giles at Nambuka and I was like, dude, I, I can't come round. Like, it's not allowed. Um, and I said, but I could just do it from here, you know? Um, that would yeah. be a thing. Um, and he said, uh, okay. And we set up a PayPal that time around, which this is the thing. I learned as the weeks went on how to make it better. The problem with the PayPal is there's no public total going along. So people couldn't like... Yeah. smashed yeah. or whatever but um nevertheless i mean they raised about twelve thousand pounds that first one yeah. and um and i did sleepers of the week my first album in full and which implies a um an ongoing plan do you know what i mean and yes. then it was like i just kind of said anyone need a hand and at the beginning before the end of the first one i had texts from friends of mine who run the railway in winchester and the joiners on southampton and the tom Wells forum so and th that kind of thing so th the first few just kind of figured themselves out and then after that it was just a case of like whoever asks get ones gets one i had some slightly weird moments where some people were just like oh i guess guess you don't want to help out our venue uh. and it was like well just ask yeah everybody else did and you, and maybe don't be bitchy about it as your opening gambit do you know what i mean like yeah, definitely <laughs> um, but uh but yeah you know and 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 it went from there and some of them are venues i've never been to like the parish in huddersfield um uh or dirty rockers in dudley i've never yeah. been to um you know so but it was cool and like every week i'd have a week-long conversation with the people who ran the venue and i'd throw the posts together and they'd get them to get the fundraiser and it became kind of like a a routine which i found quite useful because yeah i'm sure you will sympathize with like the the whole thing one of the major things about lockdown was the complete there was the collapse of routine. 
Um, and yeah, you know, that, that was uh, yeah my next question. Obviously, as someone that watched it uh, week in week out, you know, um, during this again disaster movie of a life that we began to live, that provided an escape from the terrifying realities of life, but also as you just said, a routine. Um, yeah. You know, so obviously as a fan, that was very very helpful to me for my mental health, um, and I'm sure yeah. everyone would agree. But obviously it had benefits for yourself from that point of view yeah well. totally and in exactly the same way because it was like you know there's a, there are many misconceptions about the life of a touring musician and one of them is that it's this sort of chaotic anarchic kind of endless stag do or whatever and like it it's i actually live a very very structured and regimented life when i'm on tour i, I know what i'm doing every minute of every day i get given a day yes. sheet every morning that tells me you know at 205 you'll do this interview at 215 we're gonna get in the car and we're gonna drive to the radio station do you know what i mean it's like it's minute by minute oh yes it. and and it's always nice to get off tour and get away from that for a bit obviously and the first kind of week of lockdown was a bit like getting back off a really long tour i mean we were getting back for tour but like you know that kind of decompression but after you can't live like that forever you can't just kind of day drink and watch netflix forever so building structure was quite important for me and like one of the which brings us on to why i'm sitting in this room because you yeah. know i just I kind of took a decision to try and learn something during lockdown and i already owned quite a lot of the technology as in like logic basically and but just only ever kind of skimmed the surface of what you can do with it so i just thought well, I can just watch YouTube tutorials, do you know what I mean? And so I made sure I got up at a certain time and I made sure that I did, you know, just certain things yeah. every day or every week. And one of them was doing the shows and, and it was useful, definitely. Uh, so you've enjoyed the, the kind of transition into producing work. So obviously I mentioned two um, albums um, yeah. that I've really enjoyed, uh, Beans on Toasts and uh, Pet Needs. Uh, yeah, they were Pet new Needs. new to me, um, but that's a, that's a stunning album. Me. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, so obviously we can expect more uh, production work from yourself in the future. I'm yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on like four or five different projects, no, none of them being my own at the moment, um, which is uh, which is what I wanted to do. Um, uh, and it's exciting and it's kind of a different type of creativity. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not writing the songs, um, but I'm sort of helping out with arrangement and performance and that kind of thing when I'm actually recording people, even just mixing though, you know, there's a fair degree of creative input and it's, it's been an interesting process because on, on one level I was like I'm starting right at the beginning of this and and tried to keep that mindset but of course I'm not really because I've like I have been on the receiving end of being produced and mixed yeah. many 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 times um and I've sat around in studios and whether I mean one of my annoyances is that I've, I've kind of worked with people like Butch Walker and Rich Costi in the past and not really paid much attention to where they were putting the microphones and what kind of compression they were using. And now I'm like, God damn it. Mine's um, wonderful, yes. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's like I say, like um, I'm talking to Pet Needs about making their next record. Um, I had a band, I'm not gonna mention who they are just yet, no. a band in the other day. And it was just cool stuff. I sort of was making some kind of like arrangement suggestions and stuff that to me is just, um, totally second nature and they were like wow that's a great idea and it was like oh my god everyone does this little trick just because i've been making records for like you know nearly three decades um yeah. in fact three decades do i mean three decades no i mean two decades christ how old am i yes um two decades <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 it's it's kind of it's exciting it's cool and you just kind of throw a suggestion in and if it brings the song together it's a really cool moment you know um so yeah i'm really i'm really enjoying it 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely sounds like you're getting a, a lot out of it. Um, and will it be, obviously, you've, you've got a new album yourself that you're, you've been yeah. working on, you've debuted a few songs during the live mm -hmm. streams. Has your production work for other people changed at all how um, if you'd making the new album? Um, that's a good question. I think it's possibly made me slightly more annoying to the producer <laughs> that we're working with. Just in that suddenly I've now got a, got opinions about limiting on mixes and uh, you know EQ balance and stuff. And he's it's a guy called Rich Costi who I've worked with before on Tape Deck Heart, and he's he is a little bit like Jesus Christ, dude. Like <laughs> fuck off. Not least because he's one of the best producers in the whole world, and I'm just kind of like, well, I feel like the limiter's pumping a little bit on this track, and he's just like, shut up. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I mean, I, I don't, not directly. I mean, it's made my own demoing has got a lot better, obviously. Um, yeah. And whether or not whether or not i will record and produce my own material is an open question to me i'm not doing that right now and i do often feel like there is a one of the many things a producer does is stand outside the fray do you know yeah, what i mean definitely um and and is kind of like the referee almost um and that can be very useful um in making a record and making a record as good as it can be but having said that i mean we'll see i i don't know i might toy with it as, as time goes by um yeah yeah we'll see yeah uh so just to close off the um independent venue love uh conversation mm. obviously we talked about uh the amount of money you made on the first uh, couple of live streams um obviously 21 live streams later you raised an exceptional amount of money for um a number of venues obviously desperately in need and obviously you should be really proud of that you know i mean the question really is at the start when you began um with the live streams could you possibly have imagined how much money you would eventually come to raise no and i mean I, I am proud of it i mean obviously other people donated the money like i mean I, and I i threw money into the pot each week as much as i could afford yeah it's fucking quarter of a million quid Jesus <laughs> no. um but but uh but you know I, I i am proud of it i mean i think you know we forget that at the beginning here's the thing so lost evenings was supposed to be in may last year and the lockdown yes, started late in in, in Berlin, yeah. And yeah. um, we seriously, when the first lockdown kicked in, I had a conversation with my manager where we said, well, it's good that it started this early because it means it'll definitely be over by mid-May. <laughs> because that's the terms that the government was talking in at the yeah. time. Yeah. Two, three, four weeks or whatever. And we were like, well, cool, it'll be over and done with and we can still proceed with Lost Evenings. Obviously, reasonably quickly, it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. Um, but, you know, so at the beginning, I, I thought maybe I'll do like three of these. Um, the other thing is that, and I've got to be slightly careful in what I say on this, but like, I my initial plan was was to hand it off as soon as possible. I was like, I'll do a couple of these. It's so easy and so simple and so obvious that loads of other musicians will pick it up and it'll become a thing, yeah. and, and I'll be the guy who did the first few, and that'll be that'll be enough for me. And um, and I kind of text bombarded all of my musician friends, and in, in fairness, like an awful lot of them were busy doing charitable things and as you know at the beginning like loads of people suffer from this and this is exactly. by no means the only thing that's a problem so for example i spoke to billy bragg and he was like well i've done something for the sugar mill already but i'm now doing a thing for refugees and i was just like of course you are bill yeah. <laughs> and like and and you know no worries do you know what i mean like and and all that kind of thing but like i definitely had a i, I was a little disappointed by some kind of yeah yeah well i mean there's been a fair degree of kind of pull up the ladder from the music industry generally in the last year like 
particularly, I mean, not even necessarily the venues thing. I've been doing a lot of work with the We Make Events campaign, which is talking yes. about raising funds and awareness about touring crew and the number of musicians and record labels who just don't give a fuck. And, and I'm, it puzzles me because I live in a touring dormitory with my crew. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. sleep with my face eight inches away from the guitar <laughs> ass. Uh, you know, and I do that 10 months of the year sometimes. And therefore, he's one of my best friends. And like, people are just like, oh, yeah. And it, it, like, what the fuck? You know, like, this last year has been pretty rough for me financially, but I have, I'm not starving to death. I'm not getting addicted. No. Do you know what I mean? And, and like, um, it just seemed, just even just to take five minutes to make a selfie video. Do you know what I mean? Christ. Yeah. But like, a lot of people have. I, I, there have been people I've, who will still remain, remain nameless who I've interacted with who, who have, whose management or label or whatever been like, yeah, it's not really the look we're going for right now. And I'm like, wow, oh, really? <laughs> Helping people isn't the look you're going for. During a global I don't pandemic. Want to, I, don't, I, don't want to, I also don't want this to sound like I'm therefore I'm a brilliant person because Jesus Christ. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just sort of feel like there's been a, quite a lot of people have just kind of decided to kind of lock the front door to their large house and wait until they can go yes. out and make money again. And that just seems kind of lame to me. You know, I would have hoped, and at the beginning of lockdown and everything, there was kind of a bit of a blitz spirit vibe. We're all in this together. And blah, there blah, certainly blah. was, yeah. Yeah, and that just didn't seem to last for a lot of people in my industry. And that saddens me uh, yeah. quite a lot. Yes, because you know, if, if I've raised this amount of money, just imagine what somebody who's more famous. Precisely, is. you know, you're in a privileged position with a uh, platform to make a difference. Um, right. and, and during a global pandemic, you know, you would like to think you'd see the best of people. Hmm. Um, so yeah, no, and, and as a, as a, and it's what bears repeating that, like you know, some people were busy raising money for exactly. Other so like for Dan from Bastille, for example, who's a very dear friend of mine, like he has his own charitable foundation for God's sake, and was very very busy with that. And I take my hat off to that guy every morning. Do you know what I mean? Like he's a, he's yes. a dude, love him to pieces. But there were other people, and it was just like, wow, man. Okay. Yeah, of course. I mean, again, everyone has uh, their own way of coping with um, you know, sure. difficult situations like this. But uh, especially the uh, the more corporate entities, you would hope. Well, I mean, there were certain. I mean, this is a whole other topic which we don't really have time to get into. But one, the last year's been really interesting in terms of the kind of financial structuring of the music industry, just because certain people have been not only fine but making more money in the last year. Exactly. Generally speaking, it hasn't been the artists, and it's kind of like hold the fucking phone, like what? And 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 there has been some conversations about that has started in a way that I think is kind of promising. Actually. Oh, exactly. Um. I've enjoyed the uh, broken record campaign from uh, from top. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And there, there were kind of like DCMS committees and that kind of yes. thing. So, so um, you know, I think it's it's the beginning of a long process. Um, and I'm not sure it needs to be quite as kind of like combative as some people want it to be. You know, ultimately, my record level do a lot for me. And and I, you know, yes. I mean, extra mile. My extra family. mile are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not trying to like, I don't want to like fight everybody on this, but at the same time, there's kind of potentially ways of um, making things more equitable. There certainly, certainly is. Uh, and obviously, we all hope that live music and music, uh, the music industry is going to return um, to normal at some point. You know, I mean, there's obviously hope for this summer for, for festivals and everything. Um, yeah. But I think it's important to recognise that actually the industry wasn't perfect as it was, um, and well, there's so I mean, elements yeah. that could be changed. Yeah, uh, yeah, and could be improved upon. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm slightly reserving judgment about this summer. I mean, you know, 
I'm I, I sort of have to take bookings as they come in, but like the last year has taught me caution, if nothing yes. else. About, uh, I mean, you uh, you managed to put in um, some great socially distant shows uh, last summer, um, which yeah. again I got to to Nottingham, um, and it was definitely a highlight during some very dark times. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was, was, a, that, was a really fun, that was yeah. stunning. Uh, the Arboretum um, when it when it got dark as well. Um, yeah, that was uh, a beautiful venue to have a have a show um obviously a very emotional show it haven't been the first sort of live music um in about six yeah. months for a lot of people um so obviously you know it'd be great if we could get festivals back uh, as they were this summer. oh yeah I'm, I mean, I'm, with, I'm with you that my yeah. skepticism isn't this isn't about wanting it do you know what i mean jesus christ yeah, of course like, please um so yeah a bit of government support wouldn't uh, go too far uh, for sure. Um, so as far as obviously the, the live streams again have been very successful for you, but looking into the future slightly, uh, when hopefully we do get a normal or a new normal, uh, do you still see a future for music live streams um, when normal shows can return? I'm, I'm kind of in two minds about it. I mean, instinctively, I hope not would be the best way of putting it. I mean, for a lot of different reasons, partly, partly because I'm so fucking sick of playing to my phone or my laptop. <laughs> um, and, you know, also like i mean financially it's not great for the industry for the industry like in normal times and this goes back to what i was saying right at the beginning like uh in normal times you know the the way that things work for me financially is that it's kind of concentrated like everybody who wants to see me in hanover comes when i play in hanover and everybody who wants to see me in london comes when i play in london and whatever and there's something about the constantly the idea of constantly live streaming every show is kind of like eh, about that um having said that i'm aware that there are some people who have long-term health issues that means that they may not be able to return to shows anytime soon secondly most importantly almost like i may not be able to tour outside the uk anytime yes. immediately soon and and so you know it's th these are secondary thoughts for me but important ones you know um certainly and it, at base, I like playing live music in a room to a real audience of humans, and I want to do as much of that as I can. But I guess we'll see. Um, you know, time will tell. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously, you're you're a busy man, so I'm going to let you go in a moment. Just one um, off-piste question from uh, the line of question we've been having. Uh, just want to take you back to 2014 uh, and your appearance on Celebrity Mastermind, which you, <laughs> which you won. Um, uh, and your specialist topic was Iron Maiden. Um, so, what were your what are your memories now of uh, appearing on the show? I was it was amazing when I was a kid. I mean, I was a I was a nerd. I was a scholarship kid when I was younger, and and me and my um, uh, contemporaries, as it were, would often talk about Mastermind, and it was a bit of a standard question: What's your specialist subject? And I always said Iron Maiden um, because I've loved them since since I was ten years old, and. Um, uh the offer came through and i and like i don't think my manager knew quite how much i was going to shit the bed when it came i was like fucking yes um and and i went and did it and it was cool i had to kind of fly in from america for it which was kind of ridiculous in many ways yeah. um but it was cool and like no one else who was on it with me it was roy hard john cooper clark and another guy who was like a children's tv presenter none of them like remotely gave a fuck about winning or not winning and i was like i have to win <laughs> um but I got to hang out with John Cooper Clark, which was pretty cool because he's a legend. Um, he is brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and Roy Hub was pretty cool too, actually. Um, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I'm very glad I did it and I have a trophy with my name on it. <laughs> and, that's cool. and then uh, a few months after that, you got to um, play uh, Head of Iron Maiden at Sonosphere Festival. At Sonosphere, yeah. 
Um, so yeah. that must have been a bit of a dream come true, uh, given you. Yeah, plans, and I maybe. think the two things were not unrelated, um, okay. uh, should we say. And I also interviewed Maiden for um, The Guardian in Copenhagen around then as well. So my kind of youthful Maiden like fandom was like, oh, for a little bit. <laughs> It was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, just to, to close us off, thank you very much, Frank, for appearing on the uh, show. Um, all the best for the future, and hopefully we'll see you yeah. in the field somewhere. Well, hopefully we can summer. have this chat in person in a more extended form. That would be great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you really enjoyed the show. Thanks, Frank, for joining me. Be sure to follow him on his social media channels at Frank Turner on Twitter and Instagram, and at Frank Turner Music on Facebook. Also be sure if you're watching on YouTube to give us a subscribe so that you can keep up to date with uh, the Full Purple Music podcast as we release more episodes going forward. And again, please be sure to follow us on our social media channels at Full Pelt Music. Thank you and we'll see you next time.